Hey everyone, join me up next as we break down the good, bad, and ugly so far of summer blockbusters. Some of them sort of fizzled out. Some of them may actually have busted the block. Uh, We'll talk about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, and Sound of Freedom. All coming up next on this episode of I'm Not Famous. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I just wanted to do a bit of a well, not a wrap-up, but just a summer blockbuster check-in so far. Uh, sort of a non-blockbuster summer, really. I think we all know there's only one so far that even has potential, and that's Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, uh, part one, mind you. So we'll talk a bit about that and, of course, the non-blockbuster, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, and uh, a potential one which is, uh, you know, I haven't seen it in theaters really widespread, but I certainly hope it gets more traction, and that's uh, Sound of Freedom uh, starring Jim Caviezel, the uh, true story about, uh, well, uh, child trafficking, uh, which is, you know, a heavy subject, but uh, it's based on a true story, and um, I haven't seen it yet, but uh, from uh, it's an amazing movie, and... uh, one of those that you may not want to necessarily see multiple times, but but one that's probably necessary to see. Uh, as much as we love Hollywood for escapism and entertainment, um, there's always a place uh, in in history for for movies that uh, touch on more serious subjects that uh, that we should be looking at. But uh, before we get into something heavy like that, we'll talk Mission Impossible. So, of course, we knew Tom Cruise was going to bring it. He brought it with Top Gun Maverick. And uh, I think after that one, it it solidifies him even more as uh, one of the last true Hollywood stars. And if you've ever seen Tom Cruise in interviews or, or just when he talks about his movies, he's very open about the fact that he himself is still a huge movie fan. Uh, I remember hearing once he says he watches a movie a day and, you know, with someone like him, I believe he does. And he's probably still doing it. I believe he has absorbed, uh, so many, uh, different movies and genres and stories. And I think he, he tries to bring all those elements out in, uh, in the movies he makes and that he's certainly behind, uh, you know, as well as producing, not just acting, but yeah, with uh, Top Gun Maverick, you know, that was 30 years old and it could have been dead on arrival. But, um, you know, he found a way to bring it back. Uh, I think he was biding his time. It was a tough do- time, you know, during uh, COVID. But uh, he uh, he took the time and waited, I think, for a good story, good cast and, uh, uh, you know, good, good character arcs. Um, and of course, yes, he always brings it when it comes to uh, you know, like realism and stunts. And I'm not saying that that's all he brings now, but you have to give him that much, even if you don't necessarily particularly like the genre of movie he's making. Just know that even if he's currently, uh, you know, just doing what you would think are, are action movies, always know that uh, he's always going to bring a more well-rounded uh uh, you know, a movie than just action, which is something I think Hollywood, especially uh, like Disney uh, uh, with with Star Wars movies or the Marvel movies or any movie they make, they think they're all action movies and there's nothing else in it. 
Uh, but, you know, a Tom Cruise movie, I think, will always have uh, good characters, uh, good character development, and uh, set up and pay off. What more can you ask for in a movie? It's pretty simple. You set it up, and you pay it off, and the audience appreciates that. But, yeah, he always brings that, and with Top Gun Maverick, he did. And with Mission Impossible, he's done that again, for sure. Uh, Indian Jones, which we'll talk about next, I'm sure... Everyone's already discussed it at nauseum, but I just wanted to talk about a, a few more points that I, I think, you know, it, it's again a, a sad situation where they really dropped the ball and and they they didn't capitalize on something that was handed to them, just like with Star Wars. And I'm talking about Disney and Kathleen Kennedy, of course. Uh, they were handed a built-in audience and a built-in story, a built-in product, and they were able to ruin that because they put, you know, they put agendas over entertainment and uh and that's unfortunately a bit of the sad failure of of indiana jones uh but with mission impossible i dare say this may end up being one of my favorite franchises because it hasn't faltered um yeah okay mission impossible 2 seems a little bit dated now it's got uh, that super 90s john woo style of of filmmaking and, and cinematography and you know uh, slow mos and pigeons flapping in the background like face off, but I dare say if you look at all of them as a whole, they have always uh, uh, built on the previous movie. They've always made sure there's continuity and characters, and all the characters and the story has only gotten better and grown since then. And that's all you want a franchise to do. You don't want it to go downhill. You just want it to build and mature, and and be realistic. That's the other thing too. Be realistic that the actors and the cast are getting older. And yes, that doesn't always necessarily seem to apply to Tom Cruise, but I think even he, he's, his character, you know, matures. And when you have that knowledge, just like in real life, someone, you know, let's say someone is in the spy business or, or you know, they're undercover or the CIA or, or the, um, you know, impossible mission force. Uh, after 20 years, you'd, you'd be better at it than you were when you started. So again, that should reflect in the characters too. They they need to actually, you know, grow and and get better. And uh, this one was directed by Christopher McQuarrie, who directed the last two as well. I think that's always good to have that continuity because, frankly, you know, when you bounce directors around, everyone wants to put their own spin on it. That doesn't always help. I think that happened a bit with Marvel. I get that you want to have fresh ideas, but Marvel went from, you know, the first 10 years all the way up to Endgame it all really did make sense. And and Kevin Feige, I get it. Back then, I think he was really adamant about making sure everything was storyboarded and connected, and, and he was the ultimate sort of showrunner and kept it all in line. And so you could have different directors. But since then, sorry to say, I, I think everyone can agree it's been a hot mess and no one really <laughs> gives a shit anymore about the Marvel Universe. But yeah, with something like Mission Impossible, um, I think Tom Cruise has kept it on track. And I would dare say he's certainly uh, a big part of that in the background and making sure that, that that continuity and design is there. And what can I say? Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, uh, part one. Yes, there is a part two. Some people are a bit like, uh, really? Is this the trend now? The movie has to be so long uh, that there's a part two, uh, you know, like with the Harry Potter movie. Was that really necessary? The last one, splitting it in two? You probably could have wrapped it up and made a shorter movie. I'm going to be honest, when you go see this, I think the runtime is, um, I think it's two hours uh, 40. I don't think you're going to feel it. You won't. You'll want more. And when it ends, it's not going to leave you going, ah, 
like you just are annoyed, like, oh, now I have to wait. This movie wraps up the things that you want it to and then obviously leaves it open for, I I hope, will hope to be the ultimate payoff in in part two. But this movie alone stands alone uh, quite well. And yeah, uh, Tom Cruise, of course, he, he brings it. And uh, it's good to see, you know, all the cast back together. Uh, Ving Rhames, uh, Simon Pegg. And uh, I've always really liked when they, um, they brought in uh, uh, the character of uh, uh, Elsa, Rebecca Ferguson playing Elsa. I just think uh, Tom Cruise and her have a really good chemistry, uh, you know? And that that's hard to find these days and he's not someone who's just finding some some inappropriately inappropriately young girl she's she's age appropriate and she's also you know she's a female character that's written correctly not like again something like uh, you know Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Indiana Jones as just an insufferable character who wants to undermine her counterpart and at every turn who wants that just in general in life and especially if again if you 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 want to get absorbed in it and you you live the fantasy and you're like, okay, somewhere there probably are these secret agents and they have to work together or, you know, even just military people, someone working together, men and women. Uh, it doesn't work like that. No one's trying to show each other up when you're out on the battlefield or your life's on the line. Uh, and again, I know I'm bringing a movie that's fictional into reality, but let's be honest, the lines are blurred. A lot of these are based on loosely things that people are out there doing in the world. There are spies in the world. You know, there is the CIA. And again, there are military operatives and there's war. And this includes men and women working together to help each other and save each other's lives. So I'm going to be honest. It's, it makes it more obvious on the screen when especially, and they do that lately with female characters. They always make them the lady boss. They make them from scene one just awesome. And, and they can have no imperfections. They can have no story arc from learning, from making mistakes and learning by your mistakes and getting better. No, no, no. From scene one, they have to be awesome. And they come out and tell everyone I'm awesome. They don't actually show it. I think everyone is starting to get the sense of that in a lot of the the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well. Uh, And frankly, it just gets old. I think if you really look back at movies, uh, I feel like whoever's writing these, these Mary Sue characters really don't understand that even characters from the 70s and 80s and 90s uh, male and female characters were just written better. And I think they always assumed that male characters were these, you know, you know, just misogynist, uh, 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 you know, sort of some Schwarzenegger hero that just comes out and he's, he's, just, uh, he's awesome from scene one. I dare you to find a character that's like that, a male character. They all have flaws. They all have gone on a journey. And in the end, they probably always didn't even end up the ultimate hero. I always bring back like Luke Skywalker, he didn't end up some ultimate badass and, and kick everyone's ass. He actually went in the opposite direction. And, and in the end, in Return of the Jedi, you know, he actually threw down his sword. He threw down his lightsaber and he gave in to, to choosing a different side than his father going down the dark path. I'm just saying every good character has a good story arc. So um, in these movies, in the Mission Impossible movies, I think the female characters are written really well. And it stands out and it's good. And that certainly comes across with, with um, uh, Ilsa, Rebecca Ferguson. And they've thrown in uh, Haley Atwell as a new character, Grace. And uh, the girl from uh, who played Mantis in Guardians of the Galaxy, she plays a character called Paris. Uh, she's actually awesome in this too. So again, nothing about 
oh, oh, you just like Mission Impossible because it's just male-driven and action-driven. No, it's men and women in an awesome movie with, with full-on character scenes and then intermixed with, yes, some of the awesome action. So yes, Mission Impossible brings it in, in every way. It's a, it's a movie's movie, a cinema movie, definitely the kind of movie. And this is what Tom Cruise knows. He wants you to go to the theater, you know? He is not making movies for streaming. Yes, when it, get, when it gets to streaming, watch it as much as, as you want. But this is the kind of movie that you need to go to watch in the cinema. And that's also the appeal. I feel like there's been some movies the past couple of years they could have gone to streaming because it was like, meh, whatever. But he knows he wants to bring the audience. Um, um, yeah, does it want to make money? Um, of course it does. Uh, every product has to make its money back, and movies are a product. Uh, I think that's what Disney is missing. You know, They put their political agenda and their narratives, and they try to you know, make sure the audience is... Is, is being schooled and, uh, you know, uh, you better learn this or you're, you're bad. Oh my God. I mean, it's always being crammed down your throat and that's the problem. That's how you lose money. And Disney, they are losing money hand over fist. And that's what happens when you try to please everybody, you end up pleasing nobody. So why don't you just try to make a good movie and, you know, uh, <clears throat> let the cards fall uh, as they may, because when you're trying to tick a hundred boxes, you end up pleasing nobody. You end up pleasing the shills, which is, you know, the movie critics. And I'm sorry to say that's obvious when you look at Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb. It's always this huge divisiveness between the audience score and the critics. And I'm like, that's just mathematics and logic right in your face. That shows you that the critics are just bought and paid for. And a lot of that is about, is about access. You have to realize that. I don't think there's been an honest critic since, I don't know, Siskel and Ebert. And even then, they were probably bought and paid for. If you want access to a movie, if your career is being a movie critic, and you have to see these movies so you can, you can write a review, and if you want to be in first so that you can get the scoop on everyone else, what do you have to do? You have to kiss someone's ass. Simple as that. If you want to get into the early viewing so you can write a review do you think they're going to let you in and let you write a bad review of course not come on don't be naive it doesn't work like that if you're going to get access and part of that is so that you can get paid to do your job what can i say we all have bills to pay and if that's your chosen career i mean i feel bad a bit you know they have to do what they have to do it's hard to, to stand by your morals when you know you've got to pay your bills but yeah essentially uh, they won't let you have access to the movie unless you promise you're going to write a good review or they'll destroy you or you'll be blackballed or you won't get paid. A number of things will happen and your career will be over. So sorry to say, folks, that's why nobody trusts the critics. The audience, the audience has nothing to lose. They're not getting paid. They're just, they're just all of us. They're just giving an honest review, good or bad or in the middle. So if you want the, the more realistic rating, Okay, first of all, watch it yourself. As I always say, don't listen to me. I could be nuts. Watch it yourself. M make your own opinion. Don't don't ever go online and and just look at the ratings and don't see a movie because you were swayed one way or the other. Don't ever do that. At least just go watch it for yourself. But afterwards, I think you'll see 
what's the more realistic uh, reviews, which is the audience scores. And Mission Impossible has obviously got a, a huge uh, audience score. I think it's 8.2 right now, which is really good. And uh, yeah, so the movie without spoilers, look, there's a, there's a, a, a bit of a MacGuffin. M- most movies have those. God knows Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny has one, the Dial of Destiny itself. But in this, in this way, the sort of the MacGuffin, uh, as you know, is really just a, a, an object drives the plot. You know, uh, you know, Raiders of Lost Ark. The Ark was the MacGuffin, but the you know, in this one, it's it's a key. They have to find, uh, and they have to find two keys, two halves of a key, and put it together. And uh, I just want to say that it doesn't necessarily drive the plot. It is part of the plot, but the fact that all the characters are back together and uh, Ethan Hunt, as you know, one of the big things, if you. Uh, you know, follow the Mission Impossible movies. His thing is he always puts his team first and his friends and he's willing to sacrifice anything to keep them alive. And that is a driving force of this movie for sure. And I think the last one as well. And it's important. So this one is is totally about the team and character driven and how important they are when they come together. And that's fantastic. You love that. You want to fall in love with characters, especially ones that are in a, a franchise and they come back you want to be invested in them and you don't want them to falter. And, and all these characters have been written well and they, they're still uh, going strong. So yeah, it's a good, it's a good team. J- uh, Jeremy Rayner didn't make it back. I don't think that's a spoiler. You'll see that he's not, not in there. Um, obviously he's doing okay now, but he had his, his issues with, uh, with the old snowplow. If you don't know about that, look it up. But if you're a fan, I'm sure you already know he, uh, he was trying to help someone and, and, uh, ended up falling out and getting run over by the snowplow. And uh, he again, he's okay now, thank God, but I don't think he was able to, to probably be in this. Uh, <laughs> the funny part is they don't really mention it, which is a little weird. It's like, oh, he is just gone. Um, but yeah, the, um, the uh, characters are great and the plot moves along and I don't think you'll, you'll notice the runtime. Um, there's a great scene at the at the beginning. Again, I won't I won't be specific as to why, but it involves a submarine, and again, it just brings back you know days of like uh, Red October, Hunt for Red October, or Crimson Tide. Love the those you know submarine war movies, and uh, and yes, of course, if you're a fan, I'm sure you know uh, Tom Cruise's stunts are legendary, and he has one in here as well, and. No, it's not the whole reason to see the movie, but it is certainly one awesome part because you know he's going to bring it. I always laugh and think. Uh, I picture him sitting down at the boardroom and uh, he and the director going over um, um, the plot and, and Tom's thinking, you know, it'd be great if I just jumped off the mountain on a motorcycle and let the motorcycle go. Uh, and, and all the insurance guys are just sweating bullets. You know, he's the only guy who can get away with this, I'll tell you right now. If any other actor... Even other big name actors, I don't think they hold as much weight to say, you know what, I want to do the stunt myself because the guys would say, if you hurt yourself, um, we're done for. Uh, first of all, obviously we don't want anyone, anyone to get hurt or something tragic, but even just to get hurt and delay filming, every single carpenter, lighting guy, caterers, everyone on that set, from the actor, director, all the way down, that is costing money every day and every day it's delayed. 
So again, you know, movies are products and they're big money. You're losing millions. So yeah, people start sweating bullets when, when the actors probably want to want to get involved. But I tell you, they, um, they let him off the hook. They, uh, <laughs> they bowed his wishes quite a bit. Uh, and in the last, uh, the last Mission Impossible, uh, if you recall, he broke his ankle because uh, he's always doing the Tom Cruise run. If you love the Tom Cruise run, you're going to love this one because he's running. He's doing that, that Tom Cruise steady pace with the arms flapping. Uh, but in the last one, he, uh, he was running and he jumped off a building uh, and landed on the, the uh, adjacent building. But uh, yeah, broke his ankle. And I, I'm sure they were watching that shot and they all said, oh shit, there, there goes the movie. But yeah, you know, even that caused delays and it costs money. But uh, look, uh, I don't think he goes into it uh, without thinking it through. I'm sure you can, you can imagine Tom Cruise is, is a very meticulous and very thorough guy. He's just one of those, again, he's like the last true Hollywood star. I mean, at the, top, at the end of Top Gun Maverick, it's only a little spoiler, but there's a, uh, a World War II Mustang, and uh, he's flying it at the end. Well, not only is he flying it because he's a certified pilot, that's also his plane. Well, of course it is. But, you know, hey, he works hard for his money. You, you got to give it to him. But, yeah, he's one of those, I think he is, he's like the, I don't know, he's the modern-day Steve McQueen. He's the uh, flying a plane, racing a car, doing his own stunts, and uh, that's... Um, that's something you, you got to give to him, and he's been doing it uh, uh, for years. He is, um, I think he's 60. Um, not that I'm being ageist, but yeah, um, not every uh, actor is going to be able to do that <laughs> when, they, uh, when they start getting older. Um, uh, Clint Eastwood's getting up there. He's in his 90s, and... Uh, William Shatner too. <laughs> there, uh, uh, William Shatner's great though. He's still got all of his uh, faculties about him, and he's still he's still uh, witty and clever and funny. So that's good. But yeah, Tom Cruise. Uh, yeah, so he brings it, brings the stunts, brings the action. And if you're a fan of the Mission Impossible movie, movies, you're uh, absolutely gonna love it. And um, the team is great around him. And there's a scene at the end. I won't be specific as to what it is. It is. Again, the reason you go to the movies, it's like a, a nail biter. And I often am not like that because you get complacent with movies. You get used to it. Um, um, and yes, I think with these movies, he tries to go as much practical effects as he can. Tries to do the real stunt, use a real stunt person, whether it's not him. Um, shoot in a real area. Obviously, they go all around the world. They're not just going in front of green screen. They're in the country they're filming in. You know, with the car chases, those are real. They're in the car. Uh, at the end, there might be some effects, but I tell you, it looks it looks awesome. And it's one of those that you're going to be holding onto the seat because I was, and I, I actually wanted it to stop. I was like, make it stop. Why is this still going? Uh, this is just intense and it keeps going. But you know what? Tell me that's not what you want. That's exactly what you want to go to the movies for. Uh, and that's what you call a blockbuster. Um, and that's... I tell you, I, I don't think we're going to have a lot of those. There certainly haven't been a lot of those in the past few years. The last one was probably Top Gun Maverick. And again, blockbuster doesn't always have to mean just uh, a no-brainer action. It can still be a well-rounded movie 
where everything is great. The music's great. The cinematography, the acting, the directing, the story. Um, uh, and it's not easy to do. It comes at a cost. And I mean, it comes at a cost of commitment too, you know? And that's, that is, that's Tom Cruise. I think he's committed to giving the audience what they want. There was a fantastic uh, trailer at the beginning of Top Gun Maverick last year. Um, they had some sneak peek showings of the movie. And Tom Cruise is on top of this stunt biplane, propeller uh, stunt plane, way high up in the mountain somewhere, just, just wind blowing. And he was sort of standing on the top of the plane behind the pilot. And they must have had one amazing microphone cutting the wind because you could hear him. And he was thanking the audience for coming to the preview of Top Gun Maverick, saying how how they cherish the audience and this is what filmmaking is all about and that he does it for the audience. He goes, I do this for you and I want you to enjoy it. And then you hear a guy in the mic saying, all right, we're losing, uh, we're losing sunlight, Tom, we gotta go. He goes, all right, oh, I gotta go. You enjoy the movie. And the plane just veers off uh, into oblivion with Tom Cruise hanging on the side. Again, I'm not saying it's all about the stunts, but you gotta give it to the guy. He has a passion for movie making and he has a passion to bring it to the audience and so that you enjoy it. What more, what more do you want? I wish more movie makers were like that these days. So yeah, Mission Impossible, fantastic. And again, I could be picky. I'll probably do that next time. Might have uh, Danny T and Adam join me, and we'll, we'll pick it apart and do a spoiler review. One of the things, uh, I, I won't say it's a spoiler. I'll just think it's, an, it's interesting. So I'll say this is a minor spoiler if you want to keep listening. It seems that in this movie, they, they bring in a new bit of a plot twist, which I didn't realize till after, and now it is kind of affecting me. Uh, essentially, uh, uh, there's a character that we're introduced to uh, at the beginning, and Tom Cruise is saying, um, what, have you, what, what choice have you made? Do, what, did you choose yes or no, as in to, to join us or not? Uh, and the guy uh, chose yes, and he goes, you made, you made the right choice. But it, it turns out the choice is that this guy uh, has a, a, a torrid criminal past and uh, is in you know deep shit with the government, but they want to use his skills. And so rather than going to prison for the rest of his, rest of his life, he can join the IMF team. Now, this plot's come up before, and... and in other movies, and I really didn't associate it with Mission Impossible. The point is, is it changes everyone's character a bit. I guess in my mind, I always thought uh, Ethan Hunt, he is just the ultimate, you know, uh, badass American hero spy guy, and that, that he's been doing it since he was young, or I pictured that he got out of the military and, and he joined this team. But now it turns out everyone on the team, so Luther, uh, Ving Rame, Simon Pegg's uh, character, Benji, and Ethan Hunt, apparently they were all like, you know, super baddies. Simon Pegg was probably a, a, a hacker. Ving Rhames too, you know, electronics and hacking. And Tom Cruise was probably the ultimate thief or, or spy, but, but on, the, on the dark side, on the bad side. And apparently now it seems the IMF team is made up of, of former, former criminals who chose to join the team or go to jail. I'm just... I'm just saying, think about that. <laughs> if, if you're into the character, just think that this does change the character arc a bit. 
It's a different motivation. You know what I mean? Like, what if he didn't choose that? Does he still want to do it? Does he secretly want out now? Do they all want out? Are one of them going to turn bad? Is he going to turn bad? I'm just saying it opens up a whole new line of questioning that wasn't there before. Anyway, I don't know if that was on purpose and, you know, why introduce it in Mission Impossible 7? I, I don't know. Again, that's being nitpick, nitpicky, which you can do after you've enjoyed a movie and as a whole, you give it like a, you know, five out of five, which I would. Uh, but uh, yes, you're allowed to start uh, picking it apart a bit if you're if you're reviewing it and being critical. So yeah, that's one of them I think is strange to bring that in so late in the game that they actually all are super criminals who've chosen this life now, and uh, they're they're a great team now, but they could have been on the wrong side of the law. That's just interesting. <laughs> so yes, Mission Impossible, absolutely uh, summer blockbuster, and go see it, and uh, it will definitely make all of its money back and then some. Uh, a movie that that is not making its money, uh, uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Dysentery, uh, Destiny. This is a difficult one because Indiana Jones is just one of those beloved characters, a cornerstone of pop culture. And I dare say I already only believe there were three movies in my mind, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom, and Last Crusade. And The Last Crusade... Uh, I also will stand by this. Just the perfect ending. Sean Connery as his father. Perfect casting. Perfect chemistry. And they ride off in, literally ride off into the sunset. And that for me was the ending. And I was happy to live with that. I was happy to, I think the fans were happy to release Harrison Ford to do whatever else he wanted. But that character can remain in your mind uh, untainted. You know what I mean? Yes, okay, people get caught up in characters. We're human, that's what we do. You get caught up with stories around the campfire. Before it was movies, it was books. Before that, it was legends, stories told. And people people get, you know, fascinated by it. And in the modern day, that's movies. So yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the Indiana Jones character. And if somewhere in my alternate reality in my mind, he exists somewhere in, in some alternate universe, I want him to exist respectfully <laughs> and I respectfully think the first three movies uh, treated the character right and let him let him end with dignity uh, the the crystal skull the last Indiana Jones look we didn't ask for that one either but I dare say and if you've seen Indiana Jones and Dial of Destiny or you're going to you know I'll just talk about light spoilers again you should always see a movie for yourself and make your own choice but I think by now, because it's been out now for a bit, everyone would have seen plenty of videos about it, and none of them are flattering. But um, if this makes the Crystal Skull actually look good, you know that that's bad. <laughs> that's saying a lot, because you know that movie was not great. But at least it wasn't trying uh, to destroy the character or show him at his worst or have you know the character. Uh, beside him, his co-star, trying to upstage him at every moment and point out his his, his flaws. Um, so that alone makes it better. Uh, and at least, hey, it, it had it had Miriam in it, you know, and um, and he had a son, whether we wanted that or not. Uh, I now look back at that one thinking it's not terrible because Dial of Destiny is just terrible from from start to finish. 
Um, so again, I, I might talk about some light spoilers and if you want to see it, definitely go see it because it's, it's still Indiana Jones and Harrison Ford. We forgive Harrison Ford completely. I say that right now at the start, he's completely forgiven. Okay. Harrison Ford is a little bit different from, he's not Tom Cruise or Kevin Costner or Mel Gibson. I don't think he has as much of a, a passion or input into creating movies. Now I, I dare say, of course he's, he has a passion for, for the Indiana Jones character, and I'm sure he has helped create that. Of course he has, along with Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. They all created that character together. But I'm just saying, for the most part, I think as an actor, I think he just goes along for the ride, uh, and he just he wants to do his best. So just, just completely forgive Harrison Ford, <laughs> just in case anyone was going to have a go at him. It's certainly not him. Uh, and definitely watch... Uh, uh, the uh, podcast uh, he's on um, it's hilarious there's one uh, who is with that I can't think of it anyway a- anything with Harrison Ford is um, is hilarious he's got uh, such uh, an amazing dry sense of humor and he's just a, a character and yeah look he-, he is 80 and this has nothing to do with why the movie's bad the movie uh, could have been wonderful. Um, but this is about, again, just poor writing, poor writing, poor directing, poor poor concept. Um, at the start of the movie, there's uh, some de-aging. So there's a young Indiana Jones. Again, I'm sure in the previews, everyone would, would ar- have already seen that. It's not a spoiler. Um, I feel like they could have just done the whole movie like that, and I, it would have been better. <laughs> I would have been happy with that just had a whole movie with uh, Indiana Jones de-aged and had an adventure back in the, the, the 1930s. Um, but that's only the first 20 minutes. And even then, if you want to get picky, the, the de-aging is a, a bit rubbery. And it's funny how it's a young Indiana's, Indiana Jones face, but it's old Indiana Jones voice. It's old Harrison Ford's voice. That's, that's a bit weird. You know what I mean? He's supposed to be younger, but he's, he's got old Indiana uh, it doesn't sound right when he's he's doing that, and he's supposed to be in his in his thirties. But um, anyway, so yeah, they they should just left it at that. Uh, the other thing is, is look again. This is a movie nobody asked for. This is Disney just milking uh, uh, the IP for all it's worth. They they bought Lucasfilm uh, for four billion. I dare say they probably haven't made their money back because they dropped the ball hundred percent. Again, they had a built-in audience and a built-in product, and they wrecked it. Uh, and yes, if you want to point to Kathleen Kennedy, I think all signs do point to her. I don't. I don't even know whether she's conscious of it. Conscious of it. It may be something where she actually thinks she's doing a good job. But seriously, at every turn, uh, just has destroyed, deconstructed, and destroyed all the characters. And uh, yes, it did start with Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, definitely destroyed them, uh, and it went downhill from there. And yeah, the final one, we thought, oh. If they could just leave Indiana Jones alone, but they couldn't. And we all knew they wouldn't, and and here we are. So yeah, they had to milk that for everything it's worth, and they are not going to make their money back. But yeah, we didn't ask for this movie. Uh, the other thing is, is all right, it's set in the 60s. I get that. Uh, Indiana Jones, you know, would still be alive, of course. And it's 1969. That's, yes, that's worlds away 
from World War II and, and you know, 1938, early, late 30s, early 40s, even the 50s where the Crystal Skull took place. Even that was pushing it, I'll be honest. But first of all, let me say, Indiana Jones, he doesn't belong in the 60s. You know what I'm saying? That character doesn't belong in the 60s. He rode off into the sunset and maybe he retired somewhere. Maybe he's on an island. Maybe he's on some secret adventure. Maybe he bought a ranch. I, I don't care. Those are his retirement years. Indiana Jones, the character, does not go on adventures in 1969. I, I'm sorry. That's that, I think that's the first thing they really should have thought of. If they know the character, if they actually watched the movies, I get it. You want to try something new and fresh for a new audience. I still think they should have just kept it in the past. Uh, you know? Um, I, I know he's older. But uh, that's why you shouldn't have done it <laughs> to begin with, you know, first of all. But yeah, I don't think that character, that character came out of, uh, you know, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas paying homage to those, to those serial, you know, movies and, and, and those, those sort of uh, films, those characters, those swashbucklers and, and cowboys and, and adventurers of the 30s and 40s. He doesn't belong in 1969. So already that seems out of place. Uh, and, and the older Indiana Jones, uh, you know, he's just, he's just treated like an old man through the whole movie. That's what's annoying, you know, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge, her character is just, uh, insufferable. I'm sorry. Uh, and it's not just how the character's written. I'm sorry. That actress, she, she is like that. Even in interviews, she is just gangly and terrible and annoying. And it comes out on the screen. Uh, what can I say? <laughs> she is just not suited for this role and was terribly written. And, and, and Harrison Ford's age is pointed out. And I think that could go either way. It could be a bit of comedy, but after a while, it, it gets old. And you know what? Here's the problem with that. So he's, he's, he's 80 and he's about to go on an adventure. That's fine. You put him in situations. He's climbing up a hill or climbing up the side of a mountain, having to jump onto a moving car. You know what? The, again, this is just, I think, poor concept and poor writing. Um when someone is treated like that, like he's just a poor, broken old man, you know what? Imagine the wealth of knowledge this guy has, okay? As long as his brain is intact, and it is, his wits are about him, imagine what he's learned. Because in the, in the Crystal Skull, we find out, he, you know, he actually worked for the government as a spy. Not only is he an adventurer and a, a finder of, of ancient artifacts, an archaeologist, he also was undercover for the government because he is an amazing, smart, intelligent operative. So he's done all that. Imagine the life he's had. So with all that knowledge and all those skills, you know what happens when you get older? As long as you, you, know, you still have your cognitive ability in your brain, you use those skills. Okay, I can't jump on the side of this mountain like I used to. I can't jump across this building. But based on your experience, he would do other things. Why don't they write that in? Why don't they, rather than just making fun of him, oh, you're, you're old, I'm getting older, I can't do this adventure stuff. You know what? He would say, oh, well, oh, look, there's a rope or a ladder, or I'll get this person, or we'll do it like this. He would come up with an alternative. That's what smart people do. That's what people with experience do as they get older, that a young person wouldn't. A young person will just go at the mountain. A young Indiana Jones would have just done that without thinking. But now... He would realize his limitations and use his brain and still get, still get to the same point 
accomplish the same task, but just differently, smarter. You know what I mean? So why doesn't Indiana Jones work smarter than harder? Anyway, you know, you think that's picky, but that's just logic if you're working with an older character. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge as, as Helen Shaw, just poorly written female lead, um, undermining him at every point and just insufferable. Um, I couldn't even figure out what her part was, what the point of her was in this movie. It could have been anybody else. Um, it's just made no sense. Um, and I, I think back to you know, I think back to the uh, uh, female leads of the past. They were all amazing and strong. Is that so hard to believe that in the 80s and 90s that Indiana Jones had a co-star who was amazing and strong? Um, Miriam, of course, we all know from Raiders of the Lost Ark, when he first meets her again, you know, she slaps him and is mad at him and gives him what for. But she joins him on the adventure, but she's still strong, but feminine, you know, femme fatale. She is an awesome, strong character. And, and you know, sort of his, his perfect match, yin and yang. Uh, even even Willie Scott from uh, from Temple of Doom, uh, played by Kate Capshaw, obviously ended up being um, Spielberg's wife. Uh, uh, an interesting sideline, <laughs> but uh, you know she was strong too in her in her own right. I mean, at the start, uh, you know, if I recall, um, uh, Indiana Jones grabs her and actually, I think, um, yeah, he pulls a knife on her or a fork at least to her dress, uh, using her as as, as leverage. <laughs> That's a bit harsh. That's an interesting, uh, uh, relationship start. But, um, yeah, she, you know, she was clever and smart and all of them were, were written really well. Um, uh, uh, even, uh, uh, Elsa from the last crusade, you know, she actually went on, uh, a great character arc and that showed where Indiana Jones was in a different place. Um, uh, you know, her obsession was to get the grail. And even at the end, she lost her life because of that. Sorry. If you haven't seen it, I can't help you. <laughs> this is a spoiler, but yeah. Um, she thought that getting the grail and getting the prize was the ultimate thing. And Indiana Jones was about to do the same thing, but you know, his dad was there to tell him it's, it's not worth it. Life's more worth it. And so right there, Indiana Jones learned a life lesson and she unfortunately did it. But again, actually the characters were well thought out. And in this one, just just pointless. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is just pointless. Um, no character journey. Um, and so I, I, so I dare say I have to bring up the money part, you know, um, uh, around $300 million to get this all wrong. You know what I mean? Uh, and that doesn't even include uh, the marketing. And, of course, all the theaters have to take their percentage. So, so for real, this movie would have to make like $900 million back or like a billion easily. That's how much it takes these days to make your money back in a movie. And uh, look, everyone knows this was years ago where this was predicted. It's funny how everyone got ripped apart who, uh, who had a lot of these inside tracks about what was going to happen and they had inside people telling them the plot of the movie and they're like, nah, no way, that'll never happen. Everything came true 100% and this movie has bombed because of it. Uh, and they had to spend money on reshoots uh, because originally... You know, originally, and this will be obvious for anyone who's seen the movie, they obviously hacked it together to try to fix it because the original movie 
when it was shown to preview audiences, they hated it. They hated this, so imagine how bad that was. And it was essentially, and look, this is no lie, everyone should know this by now, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, um, her character was absolutely uh, um, going to take over as the new Indiana Jones. Uh, Helen Shaw was going to go uh, uh, back in time and erase Indiana Jones. She would pick up the hat and would begin a new franchise in Kathleen Kennedy's mind. And again, why would you do that to such a beloved character? Go make your own character. Go make another movie. Call it something else. Come up with something different. Um, uh, and that's the thing. Maybe maybe he wants to pass the hat, pass the baton. That's different. That's different as well, by the way. And that has to be earned. A good character that has earned that. Uh, not to go back and just erase him. That's such a Kathleen Kennedy thing to do. Not only do we have to pass the baton to a new uh, Indiana Jane, uh, we have to erase the old one, erase him from history so that she can take over. Really? My God, that woman must hate Lucas. She must just hate Lucas. Um, and I also have to touch on this movie has a, a, which is essentially a, a fake short round named Teddy, and it's Phoebe Waller-Bridge's short round. And I'm like, really? Again? Just, I'm not saying you have to do it for the fans, but why would you just go so against the grain of what would be, you know, it's just a missed opportunity. Uh, so this guy is just, again, oh, uh, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, the Helen Shaw character, says, oh, I caught him trying to, to pick my pocket, and he's been with me ever since. Jesus Christ, she just described the same exact line that Indiana Jones gave about Short Round in Temple of Doom. And yeah, if you look back and we all used to think, you know, th that, that kid was ins insufferable. You know what? I look back now and think he, he was actually pretty cool. And it would, it would have been great because that actor and that character, he's still around. So why not bring back that character is my point. Why have a fake, uh, you know, lesser version of Short Round? Why not have the real one? Imagine how that could have gone. Just imagine that plot, how cool that could have been. Instead of Phoebe Waller-Bridge, it's the original short round, comes back knocking on Indiana Jones' door, or he gets a letter from him saying, I'm in trouble or something, or I need your help. A any plot would have been better with that sort of reunion. Um, but yeah, so this fake short round named Teddy, he's, he's a Mary Sue as well. He's a male Mary Sue. Uh, he's just amazing at everything without, without the historical background of it, <laughs> without, no, without a backstory. Uh, he can do everything, fly a plane, you know, whatever it is. So that's, again, why... That's Kathleen Kennedy just trying to rewrite, can't even come up with original ideas, just has to say, oh, let's just rewrite it. Um, again, we've seen this in Star Wars. Uh, let's destroy Luke Skywalker, let's destroy Mark Hamill, and let's, let's bring in uh, Mary Sue, let's bring in Rey, and, and, and she can just erase all the Jedi history and we'll start fresh. Um, so boring, but yeah, Kathleen Kennedy, I just, it's such a disrespect of all things Lu Lucas and Indiana Jones. Yeah. Um, uh, another thing again, just the disrespect of the character, Indiana Jones in all the, the previous movies, uh, when it would show him in class, I mean, you know, he is at a university, he's a respected teacher and, you know, especially in Raiders, you, we can see that his class is full. Okay. Yeah. He's younger. It's the thirties. It's, it's, uh, his class is filled with a lot of girls who are all enamored with him. But even in the last uh, crusade, the point is, is there's people in the class 
they want to take the class. They are so interested in this guy who's, who's, what a great story. And he's an intelligent guy and they want to take his class. And in this one, yeah, he's disrespected. Everyone's just bored, rolling their eyes. And uh, uh, he's shown to be just broken down and, you know, he doesn't care. It goes back to his, his, his pathetic apartment alone. And uh, again, why did we need to see this? Why did we need to see this character arc or this journey with no real payoff? If he's broken down, what happened to fix this? Because let me tell you, at the end, they don't fix it. They don't show anything except that he's broken at the start and he's still broken at the end. I just didn't see the point of this. Um, why, why is every older man in Hollywood they written as just a, a washed up bum? They really have no respect for, you know, men who actually could be wiser as they're older. Like I say, imagine the things that Indiana Jones knows and how, how wise he would be. He's a war hero for God's sake. The adventures he's been on, um, you know, well-versed teacher, but no, just like with, with Mark Hamill and Luke Skywalker, they had to show him broken down. And I just don't see the point of that. Uh, I'd rather, again, I'd rather see him just ride off into the sunset. Um, so yeah, look, I have to say this, this is a spoiler, but at the end, you know, he ends up back in time, the the time of Archimedes, uh, 2012 BC, the siege of Syracuse by the Roman Republic. They go, they obviously use the dial of destiny once they finally figure that MacGuffin out. Um, and he wants to stay because he's so depressed with his life. He just wants to stay there and die. And... Yeah, the the ending is just so insufferable. Again, this is a spoiler, but I have to say it. Uh, if you don't want to listen, don't listen. But yeah, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, uh, because she thinks he's going to end up messing with time or screwing up the timeline, uh, uh, she punches him out. And magically, he's back in 1969 and, and all is well. That's all I have to say. That sums up everything I would want to say about this movie and why it's disgusting and disrespectful. Really? In every way, really? Right, yeah, she punches him out. Okay, even at 80, with her gangly horse face and, and bony little arms, I'm going to go with no, first of all, that she's punching him out. And, and, and why do that? That's obviously a cheap fix to a movie that was designed for him to die. And the test audiences were so bad, they had to fix it somehow, and this was a, a shitty fix. Sorry, <laughs> I had to say it. So from beginning to end, it's just, um, it's just bad. And again, nothing to do with his age, just a movie not needed and a movie driven by a ridiculous plot. And even the bad guys, very forgettable. And hilariously, they just pop up at every turn and we don't even know why. Again, at least <laughs> give us a little bit of believability. Wherever Indiana Jones goes, um, there they are, as if they just teleported in. Again, it's just lazy writing. <laughs> so, yeah, just a sad, a sad ending to such a pivotal part of of pop culture history that is Indiana Jones. So, look, whether you just want to see it to see the uh, to see Harrison Ford again, yes, that is him, and he's grumpy old Harrison Ford, and and at times it can be funny, but as the Indiana Jones character. I uh, I don't think it's it's very rewarding, and it's a dismal dismal ending to what what is a good franchise. And 
maybe Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is okay, but I still say there's only three movies, and that's the original three. And I feel like I want to go watch them again, and I might. I think everyone should maybe just rewatch the old ones. <laughs> so, yeah, that's um, that's not going to be a blockbuster. <laughs> um, one last one I wanted to talk about was um, Sound of Freedom. Um, that's the uh, Jim Caviezel uh, movie, and this is a look based on a, a, a true story. Um, a former government agent uh, working for Homeland Security uh, sort of turns vigilante and uh, sort of embarks on a, a mission to rescue hundreds of, of children from sex trafficking. And you're like, oh, Jesus, that's pretty heavy. Well, it's real and it really happened. Um, and, you know, apparently it's really uh, uh, quite an emotional and touching movie and it's not done in any sort of exploitive way. It doesn't, it doesn't make light of any of it, nor should it. You know what I mean? Um, you know, when, when human trafficking is bad enough, but let's be honest when you say human trafficking and when you involve kids, um, yeah, there's no, there's no sugarcoating it. It's sex trafficking. And if you want to ignore that, you don't want to see it. That's fine. But just realize that that is something that's happening in the world and I don't think there's anything wrong with having a movie that shines a light on it. it. It, especially considering it's not a work of fiction. You know what I mean? It's um something that actually happened. This is a real guy, and he's involved with the movie. And um, it's uh, it's one of those things that you know it's a story that needs to be told. And the worst part, and this really disturbs me. This is the part I wanted to talk about. The mainstream media and Hollywood. I I worry more and more that the things I thought as a kid and, and, and now I think there's some real creepazoids in Hollywood. There's some real creepy, nasty people. And, and, you know, I feel like, did we all forget about Epstein Island? Uh, Epstein died and everyone's just like, Oh yeah, well he's dead. I guess all those secrets are dead too. I'm just saying there's some creepy ass shit in Hollywood and, and sort of, you know, big government and politics. And there's some people, whoever they are, I'm sure they know who they are. They've all got the dirt on each other, and that's how Hollywood functions. You know what I mean? That's how Hollywood, Hollywood, they all have something on each other. They say, well, that's fine. If you, if you say that about me, I've got this dirt on you, and I'll spill it, and you'll be screwed. How gross is that? Um, but the thing is, 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 is many of them are, are having a go at this movie like it's some sort of right-wing propaganda saying like it's a, 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 a QAnon-adjacent thriller seducing America from magazines like the Rolling Stone and the Guardian. And I'm like, okay, even if, even at, at, at the smallest percentage, it had some sort of agenda, which, sorry to say, every single Disney movie has now. Every single Disney movie has a political agenda, okay? Whether it's, whether it's race or gender or sex, they 100% have an agenda, but that's okay. But even regardless of all of that, it's based on a true story. So you're mad at it? That's gross. Fuck off. What are you mad at? You don't want people to to be aware of child sex trafficking? Oh, you think it it touches on a subject that's a little bit a little bit too too sensitive or or familiar? You know, that there's millions of kids out there being bought and sold, and unlike drugs which get sold once, you can sell a person multiple times. How gross is that? So yeah, I don't I don't even know why 
they would want to downplay the movie, but they are. That's obvious. It's happening. But it's not working. You know, word of mouth gets out, and people are going to see this movie. And I think that's a good thing, because I don't think it had, you know, a huge marketing um, behind it. You know, the budget was uh, fourteen million, uh, fourteen point five million. Imagine that. <laughs> Indiana Jones, you know, probably costs about three hundred. Fourteen point five million, and they struggled to make this movie. And that's again. It makes you want to see it more when, when someone really had that passion to, to tell someone's story. But yeah, so it's, it's obviously revolving around that and, um, and the, the federal agent guy sort of turns rogue and he goes to save, uh, he quits his job and he goes deep into the Colombian jungle um, to, uh, to save a bunch of these kids. Uh, and some of the, the footage I think that's inter, interwoven in the movie is like, Again, it's not exploitive. They don't show you anything, but they hint at it so that you know you know it's bad. But there's like you know actual uh, you know documented footage and stuff of of interviews with people and that this is happening. So again, anyone who's knocking this and they don't want it out there because they think it's political, I'm like, okay, but it really happened. So I'm worried that why are you trying to block it? What are you worried about? I mean, that's gross. Uh, I just Hollywood. Is grossing me out lately, you know, like they're trying to protect these people, you know, if you want to protect pedos, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I'm going to have to, <laughs> I'm going to have to disown you because that's something, you know, when it comes to kids, I'm sorry, that's the hill I'll die on. You don't, you don't mess with kids. I'm not going to call uh, pedophiles um, minor attracted. Fuck that shit. You can take that phrase and stick it up your own ass. A pedo is a pedo. You'll be called a pedophile because you're a nasty, you're a nasty shit. Sorry, simple as that. So anyone involved in, in, you know, child sex trafficking, no forgiveness for you. You should burn in hell. So sorry, if I've come off as right wing or right wing or religious, so be it. Um, I think if you're not on the side of protecting kids, you've got a problem. So yeah, Sound of Freedom, uh, definitely. I haven't seen it, but I, I would like to go see it. And I know it's a bit of a heavy subject, but yeah, I just. I'd like to see that someone did some good, you know? Someone tried to, to do some good, and I hope it, I hope it catches on. And, um, yeah, so they, oh, an interesting thing, that was actually, uh, so it was owned by Fox, and they hadn't distributed it yet. Disney obviously acquired 20th Century Fox, and then they, they shelved it. I'll give this much to Disney. Uh, so they ended up selling it to this other company that, ha- that finally did release it because they didn't want to release it. I think that was um, Santa Fe Films. To Disney's credit, they could have just burned it. You know what I mean? They could have just thrown it in the can and it would never see the light of day. That's what you can do, you know, when you have the rights to a movie and you have the ownership of its property, assuming there's no leaked (laughs) version of it. Um, Yeah, you can just can it. Warner Brothers did that with Batgirl. That'll never see the light of day. And that's a finished product. They knew it was so bad, Batgirl, that it was going to lose money, that, you know, it cost $100 million, that that releasing it was just going to put them in the hole more because you have to market the movie. You, like I say, you have to give a percentage of of the the movie takings to the theater showing it. So it was that bad, they canned it. And so with this one, Disney actually did sell it. I don't know how for how much. <laughs> I hope this movie company makes its money back. But yeah, I give that to them. They didn't burn it. They sold it. So it is out there. And, um, yeah, I think it's a good thing. I don't know why everyone's, again, 
being so harsh? Are they? Are you? Are you mad at Jim Caviezel because he played Jesus? I mean, so he played Jesus. What? Sorry, he's associated with Mel Gibson. Yeah, I know. You're trying to cancel Mel Gibson too. I don't know. Um, Hollywood's not very forgiving in certain ways, and it worries me that they protect other people that they do forgive. So I don't know. Those without those without sin. You know what I'm saying? Cast the first stone. I don't know. <laughs> Hollywood worries me. Anyway. Go check that out, and um, again, like any movie, go see it on your own. Don't take someone else's word, but I just hope. Uh, I know Hollywood's got a writer's strike, an actor's strike is apparently, the Screen Actors Guild strike is, is looming. Ah, I think they're in trouble, uh, which, is, which is sad, because they're a huge product of, of America, and I think they've become too intertwined with politics, and 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 narratives rather than just doing the one thing that they are hired to do um, tell a story entertain us and put out the movies based on the movie itself and the story and the art of making it and then whoever wants to come will come when you try to tick every single box like i say to make sure it's accepted by the academy awards because you have to you have to tick all the boxes now you have to make everyone happy from old to young from black to white from male to female from skinny to fat, you've not made a movie. You have not made a movie. You've not made a piece of art in any way. You've just tried to make a fake product and you'll get no return on that. So. Anyway, I'll leave you with that and I hope you enjoyed and uh, well, I'll, uh, I'll see you at the movies, and I hope we've got some, some better blockbusters on the way. Catch you later.